Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help us build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Incahunto, or togetherness. And we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. Hi, y'all. This is Reverend Anna Galladay. And we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for us to get our hands dirty. We're ready. Are you? Hey, pastors, week six. Dr. Robin, how did we find ourselves here? I mean, we've made it more than a month. It's crazy. I mean, we did have to take a little break last week because you were sick. I was, I have not been that sick in a while. And people missed us. I heard from people. They were, they were really sorry that you were sick. And so the good news is that, is that we're doing two this week to make up for last week because we love our listeners. Mm hmm. That's right. Right. Was it the coronavirus? So this is actually really funny. I am doing my podcast. My Alexa just went off. Oh. And is telling me now what the coronavirus is. Oh, see, they are listening. So Alexa was listening to our podcast and she just went off. And told me all about the coronavirus. See, they are listening. Those are, those are government projects. I'm, I'm convinced. Well, that just, it freaks me out. I'm like, wait a minute. I have all my sound off turned, turned off everywhere. Right. What was that? Right. Uh, yeah. So I, I do not have the coronavirus. Thank goodness. Yeah. I was, um, but it was as bad and upper respiratory feverish flu style event as I've ever had. Um, and, and I'm, I'm not a, like, I'm not a sickly person. I'm, yeah. I'm somebody who I, like I have chronic asthma and my sinuses are a mess. So I get sinus infections, you know, on the reg, but I, I don't, um, th- like they come and they go and I deal with them and it is what it is. They don't yeah. put, they don't put me down for the count. I don't lose work time, work over them. It's fine. However, I'm telling you what, I, I, I thought I was having a great week. I got home from doing something on Tuesday and started to feel a little achy, like my joint hurt a little and I was just not feeling very good. And I laid down on the couch and next thing I knew, I had a blanket over me. I was shivering. I was hot to the touch. I mean, you know. Hot. I mean, you're hot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, and, and I mean, and I knew at that point, like I had a fever. Yeah. I was sick. And then, and, and thus started the 
multi-day saga. Yeah. Uh, got better. Um, but I, I was worried for, for a, a, a few different points because of my asthma and because yeah. of the breathing issues that I have. You know, I already have a compromised kind of lung um, right. situation. And so anytime I get a virus or an illness on top of what I deal with every day, it, it can really scare the pants off. I mean, I, I know that there's a lot of people that have a lot of ailments and I don't in any way want to minimize anything that anyone else is going through. Um, but for me personally, there are few, I don't know of a scarier thing for me than to not be able to breathe, mm-hmm. to not be able to actually get a breath in my lungs and have it circulate back out. Um, and so I had, I had to, you know, I had to navigate through that and, um, but I ate a full meal yesterday. I yeah. drank my first beer in, in many days. So it's good to be good to be back on the mend. Yeah. And I'm glad that we're able to be here. Um, we typically record on Mondays and last Monday you were too sick to 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 record and I was like, well let's just move it to next week. Um but what we were gonna talk about last week, which we'll talk about this week, since we're having two episodes on, on this first episode, we're going to talk about body issues. And and you know, you raised something that I think is really important, which is our compromised respiratory issues that many people live with in, in a world with pollution and um, exhaust, you know, there are a lot of people with compromised breathing issues. And I remember when I had that respiratory virus, I was coughing so hard. I thought I was going to pass out because I couldn't get a breath. And I know that I actually thought I was going to break. I I thought I was going to break a rib at one point. I mean, my entire rib cage was, so, I mean, it's still so sore. And yeah. there was one point where I coughed so hard and felt this piercing pain in kind of the back, at the back of one of my ribs. And I was like, oh, oh hmm. crap, what just happened? Yeah. Um, and, and couldn't stop coughing enough to actually mentally process the pain. Yeah. Well, I think that, um, part of, um, part of our sort of societal orientation around body issues is, is also the, the reality that we have compromised healthcare. And so as many of us live with chronic issues or chronic pain or compromised respiratory issues, um, we are also living in tandem with a broken healthcare system. And many of us are having to find creative ways to care for ourselves without utilizing whatever insurance we may or may not have. And, and I think the, the two go together and, you know, we're in this election season where a lot of people are talking about Medicare for all or Pete Buttigieg, you know, is talking about Medicare for all for those who want it. And, you know, I feel like we, we are in a society that is aging. And the demands on our time and our schedule continue to increase. 
and we don't yet have the coping skills to deal with um, broken bodies, whatever the brokenness is. Not to mention the emotional um, warfare that goes on in seeing the news and whatnot, but but really, you know, this this thing about our bodies, um, you know, our bodies are part of the work of social healing. Our bodies right. tell a certain story. And when we don't, when we aren't able to maximize our body in relationship with healing, we, we come to, we come to another place where that, that needs more work. Right. And, I th- and you know, I think it, it's trifold for me. You know, I have, I have body issues related to, um, weight and, uh, dysphoria around that. I have body issues related to my health. Um, and the ways in which my body can and cannot any longer do the things it used to do before I was the age that I am now. Yep. Um, and I have a body that is in always in desperate desire to be a, in physically in the movement, you know, as a part of the work to be, you know, as you know, my, I call it, people around me call it, I, I want to be in the streets. Yeah. Um, and it, and at any given time for me, two out of those three things are at the forefront of my mind and right. are, and are attacking me mentally. In order to, to ha- I, like, I have to navigate no less than two of them always at the same time. If I am, you know, I, I am always, always conscientious about my size. I'm conscientious about my size as it relates to my health, and I'm conscientious about my size as it relates to the work. Um, I'm conscientious about my health. As it relates to the work, um, I'm not always as conscientious of my health as I'm, as it relates to my size, but we could mm-hmm. talk about fat shaming and the ways in which depression and anxiety and low self-esteem kind of come yeah. into that factor if we, if we get to it. And then as it relates to the work, you know, I, I, I have the physical need to, to be capable. So it's related to my health. Um, and I have the need to be, um, agile and limber and, uh, have the capacity to be aggressive so that I can do the work that I need to do. Yeah. So I am, I, I am definitely learning more about my body the older I get. Yeah. Aren't we all girl? More. Yeah. Right. Um, I understand it more. I listen to it a lot more. Uh, I, it, it pisses me off a lot more. Um, but I also think that I am, I, I stand with gratitude for it in, in more instances than I used to. Yeah. 
as much as I get angry with my capabilities or lack thereof, um, I'm, I am equally as, as thankful, um, as I've ever been to actually still be able to be doing this work in, you know, in the way that I am. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. Um, I think talking about bodies and, and our, the, the things, the things about our bodies that we struggle with, you know, I'm a transgender person who can't have top surgery because of my weight, but I, I weigh what I weigh because I was on medicine for 10 years and I gained a bunch of weight. And so it's like the, the medical, the medical community, um, the medical community contributed to my inability to have top surgery. And so, you know, I do work around, um, my, my body size and my weight. I mean, I don't want to get diabetes or heart disease and taking testosterone increases my risk for heart disease. So I am constantly watching what I'm eating and yeah, I've managed, managed to lose 25 pounds, which takes me out of the pre-diabetic range, which is great, but it doesn't yet allow me to have top surgery. And so I'm constantly living in what I call a body that I don't recognize. And part of my microdosing tea is to try to have a body that I recognize that I feel good about that will also allow me to move in the world as a non-binary person that can do the work that I feel called to do. And the older I get, I'll be 44 this year. You know, the older I get, I'm like, the more important the siestas are, the more important taking it slow for me is. Nobody and, likes their siesta, like Dr. Robin likes their right, siesta. Right. But, you know, I I worry about, you know, is there going to be a point where I'm not going to be able to have the demanding schedule, certainly the demanding travel schedule that I have right now um, in the body that I have right now. You know, like, what is it going to take for me to continue doing the work? And, you know, I think that we don't talk enough about um, – how important this work is and, and how many hands it takes to do this work. We, 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 um, whether or not we vote Trump out in November, there is still a lot of work to be done after the election, whoever wins it. We are living in a time where we've all got to be asking these questions about how to get free. What is liberation? I mean, I just was talking to someone last week, a white guy who, you know, when I said to him, I, I need you not to vote for Trump, he said, well, do you have a better option because I'm not voting for Bernie? And his deal was um, he had to pay for his ex-wife student loans, and 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 he feels like that that we we all should be responsible for that. And I, I want us to be able to have a conversation. You know, I mean – what a messed up, self-centered, arrogant perspective. Well, but this I mean, is on, on one hand, I get it. On the other hand, like for fuck's sake, why why are you being so petty? Right. But but this is but this is the culture in which we're living, and I think it relates to bodies too. That 
um, bodies that are accepted in this world are few and far between. And it comes from a very self-centered, very white, acquiescent culture that I, I wonder how do we actually, how do we actually talk about the fact that the reason why people of color eat the way they do in part is because they were given the scraps of what the dominant culture were eating. And that created traditions and that created practices and that created habits. And so why are, why do people of color suffer from a greater amount of heart disease and diabetes? Well, it's in large part because the dominant culture, because of supremacy culture and the dominant culture was giving them what they didn't want, which, which, you know, had a negative impact on, on them. So this is all wrapped up, I think, in, in how we get to body issues. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we could, honestly, we could segment this episode and, and maybe we will do it down the road out into so many different kind of specific focuses of, of challenge. Um, I mean, I alone, you know, I, I could talk about, you know, the, the way that I was raised. Um, yeah. and you know, the, the effects that that has had on the way that I see my body. Um, I, I, you know, I could talk about my life in a corporate setting for 15 years, um, and the ways that I was treated as a mm-hmm. woman, mm-hmm. um, in a corporate setting and the expectations that men had of my, um, of my being and my body, um, in, in certain settings. But ultimately we have these aesthetic notions of masculinity and femininity and and we discard we discard anyone who doesn't fit into what those aesthetic notions um you know f- feel as if they they fit for for us and it's really visible within the gay male community i think i agree The ways in which our our privilege find finds itself, and I re- I really wrestle with I, re- I wrestle with this entire concept of both health and body issues because you know I recognize I'm coming from this conversation as someone who, um, in many instances, has had almost any tool that she's needed put in front of her. Mm-hmm you know, over the last 45 years to make the best out of my body, you know, make the best out of it, whatever I wanted it to be. Um, Those tools were available for me. Um, You know, I'm someone who has, has health insurance Mm -hmm. um, because of my husband and uh, the, the, the way in which his, um, his employer, you know, has, has allowed me to be a part of that, of that plan. And not the kind of health insurance where it's catastrophic. I mean, you have health insurance where you can 
go to the doctor right. and to a specialist and not not be mm-hmm. out out of a whole whole bunch of money. Except you did have that one experience where they were like, "You owe seven thousand oh, dollars." Yeah, that's a totally different topic, different <laughs> story, different heart attack. Right. Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I I, I recognize how I come at this at this topic. I'm I'm tired of the ways in which I have um, used my pers- my my own internal aesthetic notion of beauty and size to criticize or minimize others mm. and i'm i i am constantly reminded of the hurt that my own heart feels when I'm harmed personally in those same ways. Mm. And I don't know what gets us to a point where those of us who, who sit with the privilege, acknowledge it, but also have to deal with their own shit. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that I'm at that point now. Um, because there's no other time than now to deal with what I, whatever I need to deal with. Yeah. But it's a, it's a, it's a real thing to both recognize where you are and, and what you bring to the conversation and also know that in some ways it is a personal affront on you and your being that 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 you're discussing you raise a good point about the internal narrative that we all have around size and bodies and aesthetic i mean i think that i have that um i call myself robust i think other people would call me fat and that's not um me being fat phobic I'm just trying to think about myself in more playful ways. And yet I don't, the internal narrative that I have about myself is that I'm not fat. I, 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 I am a person of a particular size that just feels very round and robust. I, and, and whether that is my own um, fat phobia coming out, I don't know, but even it's it's like it's it's more okay for masculine presenting people to be larger size than it is for femme people and so maybe that's part of it that i can be the size that i am because i'm mas- masculine presenting um and maybe some of it is my own my own internal fat shaming and fat phobia that I experienced as I started to gain weight on my, on the medicine that I was on for a decade. Whatever it is, I know that in our varying communities, there are standards that people, um, people erect and they're, and they're artificial standards. They're standards around what's acceptable and what's not. And, Unfortunately, we've created a society that not only monitors those standards, but abides by those standards. And 
figuring out how to get free from those standards and from um, the internalized bullshit that that harms us and that in turn harms others when it comes out sideways from us is part of the work that I know that we need to be doing and figuring out how to tell a different story around beauty. Um, you know, we might want to have Taylor Nick on who does a lot around inner beauty, who has a great podcast called pretty please and who has spent many years being a hairdresser and makeup artist working with people so that they feel beautiful and really allowing them the the time and space to not conform to normative standards. I don't know. It might be interesting for us to talk about beauty and aesthetic with someone who's actually done this work. But I just, I think that the ways that we've internalized these narratives and these standards um, eventually harm us because we internalize them and they end up harming others because, because we have internalized them and they come out w- w- without us even like intending for them to come out, but they just come out. Let me ask you this. Were you, were you someone who um, grew up um, with a, with an assumption of, of what your body should or shouldn't look like as you went through your childhood and your adolescent years and your young adult years. I mean, was, was that something that you, was that a construct that you brought in, no. your, in your life? With you? No, I, I never, I never was expected to look a certain way. I mean, there were a few um, instances when I lived with my white father who wanted me to wear makeup and wanted me to wear a dress, but the the defiant part of me just rebelled against that and said no. But I didn't really have an image of what I should be or was, so, you know, I, I tell people like somehow or another I missed female socialization. I, and I think it's because I was very boyish and I was raised as a boy. I was also gifted intellectually and so I just did nerdy things growing up um yes I did like climb trees and ride three-wheelers and other ATV things but I wasn't girl and and I think because I wasn't girl I didn't have the expectations and then of course when I got into high school and in into college and on my own I discovered Oh, I like this gender bending, this gender non-conforming. And then it was like, use my imagination for what my body should look like. I, what, what about you? Was, oh, did you? I'm jealous. <laughs> I wish, I wish I had a story that, that felt, that felt freeing. Mm. Your, I mean, your story feels freeing to me. Mm. Um, there has largely been an expectation in my family um, for, you know, all of us, meaning my siblings and I, how we were to present physically. Mm-hmm. Not from a beauty standard, um, but from a health standard. 
uh, meaning skinny equals healthy. Mm-hmm. Fat does not. Mm-hmm. Or overweight does not. And, I mean, I'll never forget the the very first time that I internalized that I was no longer fitting the standard that my father expected. I, I had come home and he took his two, his, his forefinger and his thumb and he, um, put them to my side right above my belt line and he pinched and he said, there's way extra here than needs to be. Mm. And I laughed it off. And from that point on, he continued to comment every time he saw me on how much weight I had gained or how different I was looking or asking me coded questions about my health that were really just questions to get me to answer a question about my weight. Yeah. And, um, I mean, that kind of, uh, mental and emotional programming that happens in the brain of a child, uh, is really hard to undo. Mm-hmm. And so I have lived with an expectation of size as it relates to health. Yeah. For as long as I can remember. So I had an experience like that. Um, it was my senior year in high school and I had been gender nonconforming and I mean, I didn't have that language back then, but it was the spring concert, spring band concert. And we were supposed to wear a dress or something. And so my dad took me to find a dress and I put it on and I had, I had been recovering from brain surgery. I had two brain surgeries to fix an aneurysm. I had a blood clot that burst um, the summer before and I had been on an anticonvulsant, a seizure medicine for some time and it had messed with my metabolism and I had gained weight. And so I tried on this dress and at some point I asked my dad, do I look fat? And my dad said, yes. And, um, and I ended up wearing the dress and I think that, that statement continues to haunt me. Um, and it's really hard to not hear like when doctors say, no, you can't have top surgery because your BMI is too much. What I hear is, is that I'm fat. And, um, and so I've had, I've had a long time to kind of undo those narratives the the thing that I don't have necessarily is that I should be a particular size. Um, I w- what I do know is that my health markers were were dangerous, and that I needed to work on that. But I didn't equate that with size. 
And I don't know if that's because of my gender expression or gender presentation. You know, I don't know what that is about. But I do know that, um, especially for women, there is an expectation um, around size and health. I mean, my own girlfriend was a dancer for a long time, and at some point she was told to only eat tuna fish. And she's not big. But but she was big for ballet, and ridiculous. yeah, and ridiculous and frustrating and yeah. So, and yet I know personally how many ridiculous fad diets I have attempted mm-hmm. to try to fit myself into a category of. The aesthetic, the aesthetic that I think others want. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I am, I'm constantly aware of how much space I take up in the world. And I, I love the way that my presence takes up space. Mm-hmm. I love the way my voice and my humor and my laughter take up space. But I, there are times where I wish I could shrink to the size of a Twizzler mm. and still have all of those other things taking up space, but not yeah. have my physical being. Yeah. It up. Yeah. So I feel like this is about like internalized supremacy that, that we both have on some level and part of our work on this podcast is to dismantle supremacy culture. And there's lots of different types of internalized supremacies. Um, the one that we're talking about is when, as it relates to bodies and getting our hands dirty and, and figuring out how to dismantle internalized supremacies um, is also part of the work of social healing and part of the work that we want to be doing here on this podcast. And it takes relationship to do that. I mean, you can't do it alone. Um, we're, we're shaped by community and our language is shaped by where we are in community and it requires kinship to dismantle these supremacies. Yes. We also need to ensure that the ways in which we make decisions in November um, can act in affirmative response to the needs of health care and ment- physical and mental health care yeah. for the millions of Americans that, you know, don't have the, the ability to right. see a physician or, or seek help. That's right. They need it. That's right. Yeah, I hope that we begin to think more broadly about bodies and health and not just the internalized norm that we're taught um, and the junk science that gets tossed around within the medical community. Um, I really, I really hope that we're able to overcome the ways in which standards and norms have created these supremacy networks that, that 
then create beauty standards. That's our work. It's hard work. Yeah. You know, it's work that reaches into us personally, um, because we, we both are humans who are, you know, are suffering in, 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 in different ways, um, with the ways in which assumptions about us are portrayed. It also happens when we move into spaces where we have to affirm that our bodies are necessary in this work. Right. This, the practice of, of somatics and the work of recognizing what it is your body is telling you in moments and then affirming your body in that space so that you can be more present in a moment of resistance is critical to this work. Yeah. And so, you know, it's incumbent on, it's incumbent on, on ATP, but I think it's also incumbent on all of us, those of you who are listening as well to figure out how your body is both affirmed and minimized in the spaces where you find yourself. Yeah. And then to do the deep work of deconstruction or reconstruction in either, in either of those lanes to figure out how your body finds its space and finds its place in the work in a way that both honors what you, you and your body need to get out of it, but also in a way that helps level the structures of power that have so often co-opted those spaces for so long. And, and, and if your body can be a disruptor in that, in that work in one way or another, then, then, then you've, then you've done good. Yeah. And for folks listening, if you're looking for a podcast that deals with body issues, um, every week and fat phobia and fat shaming, um, you can listen to my friend's podcast, Nobody Asked for This, and Megan Moss and her friend um, do that podcast. I've been on that podcast before. It's a great podcast. So great. Um, and we should all be talking about bodies and body issues to break down our internalized supremacies and the externalized supremacies that have created um, such a world of shame and mistrust with medical professions and, and those who, who are around us. Um, so much work to do. So much. I mean, for the, for, for right now, I'm going to not get sick. Yeah. I'm going to do my best to not get sick again. Uh, anytime in the near future so that we can all be here, um, on a consistent basis and, and, and have conversations that matter. I also, as I will tell my therapist this week, will do my best to not fat shame myself. Yeah. I'll do my best to yeah. not fat shame myself. <laughs> that's that's all of our work to love ourselves. You know, it was this Valentine's Day, and so the first person that we should be loving is ourselves um, in the midst of a world that's that... so sweet. Sentimental thing. Yeah, I am pretty sweet. 
But listen, for those listening, if you have questions or comments and or want to reach out to us, you can email us now at podcast at activisttheology.com. And remember, activists and theology share a tea. We'll try to put that in the notes. But we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you're thinking. We want to hear topics that you'd like to hear from us. And Anna and I will both see that email and one of us will respond when you email us. Yeah, and feel free to engage with us on Twitter too if you want. Um I'm I'm happy to to have a a tweet conversation with you. You can follow me at unholy hair h a i r etic. So it's unholy h a i r e t i c. Um and you can follow Robin at i robin. And that's Robin with a y. Yeah, so We've got two episodes coming to you this week, body issues, and we'll be, so we'll be dropping two on Thursday. We're very excited about that. We want to keep the schedule going and we're sorry that we missed last week, but we are back. We are back. I am, uh, I am mostly okay. Yeah. I will do my best to edit out any coughing that occurred. Yes. During this episode so that yeah. our listeners are not, uh, burdened with the way in which uh, Raman had to watch me, uh, have coughing spells while they were pontificating so eloquently. Thanks friends. And we'll, uh, we'll see you. We'll see you actually like in another, in a, in a few minutes on yeah. the next episode. Take care. Are you looking to connect the dots between what you think and how you live? Are you looking for a more robust way to be in solidarity with the movement? Are you looking to get your hands dirty with the work of social justice? Join Dr. Robin and Reverend Anna Galladay each week as they share, reflect, and analyze on pressing social concerns. Want to help support the podcast? Go to activisttheology.kindful.com and click on podcast. And remember, activist and theology share a T. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by Delta Ray, our friends. Our sound editor and engineer is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. Yeah,